We want to welcome everyone to our morning service here at the Boomville Church of Christ. We're glad that you're here. We're also glad for all of those that will be watching us online. Thank you for making this a part of your your morning. We're always glad to come together to worship the Lord. Please remember that next Sunday will be our fifth Sunday contribution, and it will be for benevolence. Uh, we we could use a lot of funds in our benevolence programs, and uh, this always fills our benevolence account back up every year. Let's begin our worship service in prayer. Our Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We are so thankful that Brother Ken is here and to, to give us another message from your word. And we pray that we will listen and put the things that he says to us into our everyday life. Father, help us to be better Christians in your sight. We pray that as we go through our service, that we will be worshiping you in accordance with your will. These things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. morning. Good, good morning.
our kind and most gracious Father in heaven, we come to be today so very thankful for all the things that you do for us, so very thankful for this congregation that meets here, Father. We're thankful for the elders, the work that they do. We're thankful for the deacons. More especially, Father, today I thank you for the faithful women of our con congregation that teach our children, that back up the leadership, that back up each and every one of us and makes this the great church that we believe that it is. Father, as we go into this time of worship, help us to open our minds and open our hearts to hear the word and to let it penetrate our minds and let it hit those places that each and every one of us need individually that we might become stronger Christians, that our light might shine brighter, that we might bring other people back to Christ. Father, as we're endeavoring this time of sickness and pandemic, if it could be thy will, Father, help us to grow in number. But more than that, Father, help us to grow in spirit. Now, we ask you to be with us this day. And all of these blessings we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Next song is Send the Light, number 650 in the songbook.
Marking your phone book. Number 903. Power and love. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Good morning to everybody. When you go outside in the morning like today and you breathe in that cool air, doesn't it just invigorate you? Just makes you want to jump out there and do something, right? Okay. One of you is fired up out there. But I'm just going to say for the rest of you, yes! We just, man, we can't wait for our feet to hit the ground because it's just so exciting. It makes you feel good. And it is a blessing, isn't it, to have health that is sufficient and strength to be able to gather on the first day of the week. Let's don't ever take that for granted. We have some people, though, who are still sick and struggling. You know of people, as I do, who have the virus. Some are struggling at home. We hear news of people who end up in the hospital Still others that have been on ventilators for long periods of time and our hearts go out to them and we are continually praying, certainly until the scourge is lifted from our land. But you know, while we think about that as a pressing issue, there are still people who have other illnesses. There are still other things going on with people that are very serious And Pat Green is one of them. She's been sick for a long time. Well, really, she's been sick the whole time that Anita and I have been here. And we hear of her progress. We were thrilled to hear last month about the results that she had from her tests. And I mentioned that she was going to be having surgery. And hopefully this will be, at least for the time period, uh, the last of interventions. Hopefully her health is going to be restored to her. Her surgery is going to be taking place tomorrow. So please be praying for her that this will be a great success and that she'll not need further treatment. And also while she was telling me about that, she mentioned that Ricky's brother is in the hospital in Tupelo. He has COVID and also has pneumonia. So he's very sick in the hospital. And then also remember Ben. On Wednesday night, I mentioned that Ben Roberts uh, has discovered that an aneurysm has grown and he's to see a doctor about what to do exactly. So these are pressing concerns. And I thought it would be appropriate for us as a body to be praying for them this morning. We'll also be praying that God will bless us in our study today and that he'll help us. Uh, as we're trying to embody our Christian walk, trying to be what he's called us to be. 
and not to be discouraged by some of the things that happen to us on the outside. Let's pray together and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege that it is to wake up to a new day, to breathe in the air, to put our feet on the ground. We thank you, Father, for every, everything that you do to make possible our health and strength and the ability and freedom that we have to assemble here and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray, Lord, as we've already been involved in certain acts, that we'll continue that through our study of your word. And as we observe the Lord's Supper and give of our means, I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be in every action. But, Father, our hearts also think about those who suffer. And we're thinking about members of our own congregation that are in need of special consideration. We pray for Pat as she's facing surgery tomorrow that it will be a terrific success and that she will heal as is anticipated. We pray for Ricky's brother who's just entered the hospital and we pray that he can recover from his illness. And Father, we pray for Ben that you will protect him physically as he's seeking advice from the doctor and we pray that doctor will have just exactly the right word to share so that he can also heal and have a great um, strength about him again. Lord, please bless us as we're looking at your word today. And I pray that as we examine these things, that our faith will be strengthened and that we will rely more and more upon you and your revealed word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you feel it or not, but the fact is, if you are a Christian, you are under attack. Now, that isn't just a modern thing. Actually, you read the scriptures, you realize that God's people have, in one form or another, always been under attack. Because there are those on the outside who do not want to follow the will of God, or who feel as though you are a reproach to them because you represent by your walk the Word of God. You remind them constantly of what God's expectation of them is. And so but they just don't like you very much. For a long time, that attack has been an outward sort of attack just simply meaning that there are people who just didn't want to believe the Word of God. And because of that, maybe they offered up insults, you know, an outside attack. And you've heard that saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, we all know, practically speaking, that words can hurt. But generally speaking, as regards us as Christians, listen... We're holding on to the Word of God, right? We believe what God says. And so if there's an outside attack or an insult against the Bible, I'm not worried about that because my faith is not going to be shaken. I trust God. Well, Satan knows that. He's known that for a long time. So what does Satan do? Satan changes his tactics. He decides that in addition to outside attacks that there needs to be a kind of inside attack. 
I don't know if you remember this from history, but it's actually a, a pretty famous thing. It has to do with strategy of trying to infiltrate the enemy from the inside. The Greeks had been sieging the city of Troy for 10 years to basically no effect. And so the, great, the Greeks devised what was a very unique solution. They built a monstrosity that looked like a horse, made it out of wood, and it was hollow on the inside. Selected soldiers then hid inside that monstrous horse. And the Greeks rolled the thing right up to the gate of the city. Well, when the Trojans finally saw what was happening, they were amazed at what they saw and began to think their gods had provided this horse for them as a symbol of their strength and ensuing victory. And so they opened up the gates and they brought the horse onto the inside and shut the doors. They worshipped that thing until nightfall. And then they went to sleep. When they went to sleep, the soldiers that had been hidden inside of the horse came out, unlocked the gates of the city. The Greeks came in and overthrew the city. The Trojans made a terrible, terrible mistake. Satan is trying to infiltrate the Christian faith in order to make just such a surprise attack. The attack is not just with words. The effort is to discredit who Jesus is and to discredit the Bible. If you discredit Jesus, then you have discredited the living Word. If you discredit the Bible, you have discredited the written Word. And if you discredit the Word, then you have undermined deity and deity's truth altogether. Now, it's one thing to recognize that you are being attacked either from the outside or the inside. It's quite another thing to defend yourself from it. If that's happening, if we're really being attacked, and if it's happening against Christ and the Bible, what do we do about it? It seems to me that the Bible itself is the best defense against this inside attack. For one reason, the Bible is preeminent. And when I say preeminent, I mean that it is above and higher than anything else. A college student who was, you know, pretty, pretty vain, uh, pretty, pretty prideful, and not interested in biblical things, sought out a preacher. He went to the preacher and he said, listen, what books would you direct me to 
that will support what you say about the Bible, that it's inspired. What books could I read? The old preacher said, read the Bible. But the college student wasn't put off. He said, no, maybe you didn't hear what I said, old man. I asked you what books, what scholarly books will back up the claim that you have that the Bible is inspired. He said, young man, I did not misunderstand what you said. Read the Bible. So if I were to read the Bible, how how would it make its claim? How would I know that what it's saying is inspired? How do I know it's from God? You've probably read through the parables lots of times. And I'm thinking specifically about Matthew chapter 13, because if I were to give you the assignment to read some parables, that chapter is just chock full of them. And all of those are having to deal with Jesus' description of the kingdom of God. It impresses me that what Jesus had to say in that time, which If we were, you know, making the application, we would lead by saying, now Jesus said this within the context of the first century, but when you read what it has to say, you realize it's not bound by the first century. That what he has to say in all of these parables actually find their application in every age. And as I'm living now, I especially see the import of those teachings. For instance, maybe the most famous of those parables in that text is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower describes for us the difficulty that one has when they are honestly trying to share the gospel with the lost. There's another one that I think is especially applicable, and that has to do with the parable of the wheat and the tares. In that parable, Jesus is describing, well, how Christians end up being mixed with the world. Now, if that's not a warning for us, I don't know what is. Jesus said one time in John chapter 17 and verse 16, they, speaking of his disciples, are not of this world as I am not of this world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, notice carefully what Jesus was saying there. Jesus was saying, I I, want to make it clear, I'm not of this world and neither are the disciples that I have. And they are set apart, they are sanctified by the very fact that the truth is residing in them. They respect and obey that truth, and that has separated them from the world, just like I'm separated from the world. Or 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 describes the fact that as children of God, we are sojourners and pilgrims. We aren't, we aren't putting roots down in this world, in other words. We are just passing through. And whether our our life is a short one or it's a long one, the fact still remains, if my heart is on heaven, then I'm not thinking about a long-term stay on the planet. 
I'm looking forward to eternity with God, sojourners and pilgrims. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, thinking of Jesus and where he is, we are reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not located in any one or other of nations that exist today. Our citizenship, the place where we belong, the king we serve, is in heaven. Now, unfortunately, what you see, and maybe it's been true for every generation, it it came as a warning as Jesus gave the parable, so I guess it was true then. It is certainly true now that a person professes to be a Christian. And maybe they assemble like we're assembling here today, come together on the first day of the week. We're going to worship, and our intention is to process through these acts of worship and glorify God. Great! How easy is that? Because the person sitting next to me is doing the same thing I'm doing. The challenge comes when that very same Christian goes beyond this meeting here. And they're on their own. Most of us find ourselves that way, right? We're at work or we're at school or at play. We're surrounded by people who are not members of the Lord's body. Who maybe are the very ones who would insult Christianity. Well, wait a minute. If they knew we were Christians. (laughs) Ken, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is... What I am right now and the intention of my heart, my commitment, all that, that I would profess to have as I'm gathered with Christians ought to be the same that I have when I leave here. And that the impact of the Word of God and of Christ, the living Word, on my life ought to be evident as I'm walking on the sidewalk as much as it is when I'm sitting on the pew. Too many Christians clamor for the attention and the approval of the world. Now listen to me. How is it that a child of God could clamor, want so desperately the attention of the world, when it is the very world who rejects the Christ that we profess to serve? I can't see it. What I do know is that the revelation of Scripture is preeminent. Now, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18, I think, is so appropriate right here. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? You know, if the Lord returned right now, and you or I were the first one that He met, what would he conclude? Would he say, great! Or would he not recognize us at all? A second thing to keep in mind is that the Bible is universal. If I took a hundred people who are out here walking on the sidewalk, just kind of gathered them up, a mix of people, and I asked them to name several Eastern books... Most of them would not be able to do so. Now, they might be able to name some books that are on the New York 
you know, bestseller list, New York Times bestseller list. Maybe they're involved in reading some series of books. They know the author intimately. They've read every single one, so they're anticipating a certain volume. I mean, they're, they're informed. But as regards to Eastern works, eh, probably not that much. Now, there would be a handful of those people who would say, isn't the Quran an Eastern book? And you'd have to say yes. A very, very small percentage, maybe none, but at least possible a small percentage might say, well, what about the Vedic literature from India? That's Eastern, right? And uh, yeah, you'd say yes. But if you asked those same hundred people, what's the greatest book ever written? Now, I, I guess with the exception of those who are just bent on never giving the Bible any credit whatsoever, even though their logic tells them otherwise, most people who are sincere and honest will say, well, you know, the best known book, the most popular book, the book, is it's the Bible. But when they answer the Bible, do you realize that's an Eastern-based book? The book comes from the mind of God. It's inspired by God. But God used men as tools for the production of that book. People like Moses and Isaiah, and even Paul and John, all of these people were involved in the production of a book whose general region was the East. And yet... As different as the East is from other parts of the world in terms of its culture and its history, the thing about the Bible is it makes its application not just in the East, but it is as applicable to the person living in the modern world right here in the United States or any other far-reaching corner of the world. The Bible is able to be applied in every language and culture and clime that exists because it is not a production of men. Now, here's the thing. When one of your favorite writers produces a volume that becomes incredibly famous, there will be a publisher out there that will say, wait a second, that, that really sold well. I would like to produce that volume in another language or two. And they'll do that, and it might be popular, say, in France or in Italy for a while, but over the span of just a few years, that volume that was so popular and translated into another language or two is forgotten. That's how the things of men are. But this volume, the Bible the book of books, the book that is greater than any book. That volume is applicable to every time, to every culture, to every single person. It's applicable that way because it comes from the mind of Almighty God who created all of us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God has everything that is necessary for the development of a human being spiritually. The Bible truly is universal. The Bible is also timeless. So I read about this librarian that had gathered up the staff and said, I want you to go through every single volume and check the volumes for their date. Any volume that is 10 years old or older is obsolete. It's out of date. As I said before, that might be true for a man-made document. But when it comes to the Word of God, that book is just as modern as the day it was written. Now, what's interesting about that is you're talking about a document that is 3,000 years old. When the first letters were put to stone in cuneiform uh, letters until now, God's Word has breathed incredible life. And it has anticipated things throughout history. And you say, what do you mean anticipated things? Well, here's an example. A military officer was giving a seminar on electricity. And he was sharing with the group Lord Kelvin's discovery, and I put that in quotation marks, Lord Kelvin's discovery that electricity in the atmosphere is what triggers rainfall. Most people at the time of the lecture didn't, didn't realize that or hadn't discovered that truth for themselves, and so they were intrigued. He said, actually, I possess an ancient document that foretells the discovery of Lord Kelvin. And they were all amazed, but he just kind of moved on with the lecture and dropped it. But the students didn't drop it. And so after the lecture, he, he is swarmed by this group of young people who want to know what is this ancient document that foretold Kelvin's discovery. And so he backed up from the group and he reached into his jacket and he pulled out, well, you know, his Bible. And he opened his Bible to the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 25 and 26. And he found out that the thunder that is described in that text, actually the text says that it makes for the rain. In other words, the lightning flash, the thunder that roars, anticipates or provides the means by which the rain in that text, is on the land. In the book of Psalms 135 and verse 7, also exact parallel statement in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 13, he says that he made the lightning for the rain. In other words, here are some statements that are fit with, within the writings of Job and the Psalms and the prophet Jeremiah, not to make a class out of or a seminar. It's just a passing statement. Here is a truth that was discovered by a scientist thousands of years, 
2,500 years later that was anticipated just kind of as a pedestrian statement in the midst of a whole bunch of other statements. God is so full of wisdom and knowledge, even when He's just kind of, kind of unloading a discourse, incredible truths are revealed. How in the world does stuff like that happen? How can, a, how can a scientific fact be discovered by somebody in our modern world and actually have been in the Bible for 2,500 years? Well, the reason is that was written by Almighty God. It's written by inspiration of God. And then the Bible is living. And I want to say to you, that all the things we've discussed so far are, are interesting. You know, the preeminence, the, the universality, the timelessness of the Bible. But the thing that really matters is the fact that the Bible is living. Now, the text that was read for us, you've heard many times, is so incredible. Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I study a scripture, I just love to parse it out. I like to examine every word and, and consider its definition. What does it really mean? The interesting thing about this text is every single word in this verse is about as plain as it can be. You don't have to have a knowledge of Greek to understand what he's saying right here. He is telling us that that Word of God is not just a dead letter on a page. It's not like one of those books that's popular for about 10 years and then nobody can even call its name again. The Bible is the book of books. It is a book made up of books, literally, but it is the book that transcends all books because what's written on its pages are not just letters. What's written on its pages is life itself. And that life is the result of God's giving us that Word. God through means of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says that the sword of the Spirit, that which the Spirit uses as a two-edged sword, the sword of the Spirit is... It's the Word of God. It changes things, that Word does. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, there was a time when people had to have, you know, a boundary of the law in order to know what to do and what not to do. It's just kind of like they just wandered around and, and having to be reminded constantly of what it is that God wants them to do. And had a whole entire priesthood and Levitical system to create that hedge and to punish those who didn't submit. But this text says that the Holy Spirit, through the power of that Word, can transform a person to the degree that what comes out of them are the natural attributes of God. 
We are being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. First Peter chapter one and verse 23. You hear that? Born again, not by things that are corruptible, but by the word of God that lives and abides forever. Not for 10 years, but forever. The living word of God written on our hearts transforms us. The Bible is living. So ponder that. Think about it. The significance of the Bible. Think about just how wondrous it truly is. 500. 500. I know, I, I think about some documents that might be translated into two or three different languages. The Bible has been translated into over 500 languages. And I wonder if you appreciate the significance of that. In order for a person to make one translation, first, they learn the language of the Bible. The original ancient languages, Hebrew and Koine Greek. And then having learned those languages, they have to have the courage and the wherewithal to insert themselves into another country that speaks a different language. And while they're immersed in that culture, learning that language, they endeavor to learn every word of that language as much as is humanly possible. And then they take that language that they have learned and they turn that into a written language. I don't know if you realize this, in, in terms of missionaries, for instance, that went to Hawaii. Hawaii did not have a written language. They spoke their language. They didn't have an alphabet, anything. Missionaries went in there, learned the spoken language, developed a written language. You know why? so that they could take what they had learned from the ancient text, translate that kind of in their own mind into something that they could thoroughly understand, and then go the next step of translating it into the language of the people that they've studied. And then comes the arduous task of going word by word, letter by letter, to translate the entire text of the Bible. Over the history of this world, that has been done for societies to the count of over 500 different languages. Now, why in the world would anybody go to the trouble, the time, the expense, the danger to go into every corner of this world to translate the Bible. Because it's the Word of God. And it's because God wants every person in every corner of this world to know His Word. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That comprises one sentence in the English. But I can boil it down for you. God has spoken through every age, but he now says, hear my son. God has spoken through his son. Question, Ken, who's he spoken to? Well, people went to a lot of trouble to be able to write that in languages that everybody could understand, but I'm thankful for one particular language, aren't you? I'm thankful for the English language. And I'm thankful that God went to all that trouble through somebody to make a translation of his divine word that I could understand. Now, let's make that personal. He did all that so you could understand it. And many of you who are Christians, you're here worshiping now. You're going to be going outside this building. What are you going to do? You're going to demonstrate what you've learned in that word that God took so much time to prepare so that others could know through your example his word or, or not so much. I hope you're a living example of the word of God. And if you're not a child of God, listen, you come and you sit, you hear sermons, you sit through Bible classes, you read your Bible. Why do you think he did that for you? Why do you think this is presented? It is presented so that your soul could be saved. So what's your response to all that God's done to make his word known to you? If it's anything other than obedience, then what does that say about your response to him? But if you've come to the place where you believe what you've been reading, what you've been taught from the word, and you're ready to make a change because that's what the word does to you, it changes you, don't resist it. Act on it. Act in faithful obedience. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead, confess your faith that He's the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Be buried in water today. Have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus and rise up in newness of life. Today can be a wondrous day as a result of what God has done in you through his revealed word in your obedience. If there's anybody who needs to respond, now is your opportunity to do that. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood.
today as we partake of the communion of the Lord's Supper. If you do not have your emblem, please raise your hand high and the ushers will assist you. I'll be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26. My Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, 
And he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let us give thanks for the bread. Our most gracious and loving Father, we bow in remembrance of your Son, Lord Jesus. So thankful for all the many spiritual blessings through him. Father, we pray that we examine ourselves and we partake of this bread, which represents his body in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. bow with me again as we give thanks for the cup. Our kind and loving Father, once again we bow in remembrance of your Son, Lord Jesus. Father, as we partake of this cup, which represents the blood that stained the old rugged cross, we do so in a manner that's pleasing to thee. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Also, we are commanded to give. If you please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we once again are just so thankful for all the many blessings of life. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with the ability to earn wages and benefits, Father, that we just pray that we can further your gospel and and so thankful for all that you do for us. We pray, Father, we be the cheerful giver that you would have us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to those online as well. Uh, we had uh, 86 uh, in attendance at the 830 service, and there's 115 here at this service. Have a uh, couple things to read first. From the desk of Stephen W. Hodgen. Anyone interested in Laz Leader's scrapbook, even if you're not going to Little Rock, we need your help. Please meet next Saturday at 1.30 from Saturday, oh, January 30th at 12 noon. Food will be provided. Plan on staying two to three hours. I have a card to read. My dear church family, as my life had been tough these past few weeks, I'm thankful for each of you 
to help shine my way. All of your acts of kindness have been appreciated. Thank you so much for loving me each and every day. Not a bullet. Um, I do believe that's all I have. Of course, we have the uh, ever-present extensive prayer list. So for sure, let's keep everyone in mind. Um, if anybody has anything else, uh, well, we won't have announcements tonight. But anyway, please pray with me. And before we leave, uh, be careful as we exit. So please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we cherish this time that we've had to come together. We're so thankful for the means we have. We're so thankful for those that help bring your message to those that cannot be here at this place. Father, we're so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful for every page, every word on every page. Father, as we have been taught, may we teach those. As we've been given, may we give. And dear Lord, as we're here on this earth at this time, may we Take full advantage of all the blessings we're given to give back. And Father, when we leave this world and we enter into eternity, may those that remember us remember us as someone who shared thy word. For it is thy word that is the answer to everything. And your son is our Lord and Savior and has saved each and every one of us. And it is in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.